Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. We have two guests today, Leslie Apgar and Gina Dubay. They are both co-founders of Greenhouse Wellness. They're also co-authors of High Heels. We're going to talk to them a little bit about the work that they've done in the cannabis space, the fascinating business, uh, and really movement they're creating uh, and a really kind of interesting area of focus. I always kind of love talking with folks who are working in the cannabis space and and finding niches, finding uh, segments of the space which are kind of underserved or have great potential and need to be developed. Uh, we're, We're definitely growing as an industry, and I think that's really kind of the next phase of cannabis is welcoming new folks into the fold, into the industry, into the movement, and really understanding what their needs are and how we can best serve them. And Leslie and Gina are doing just that. So with that, Leslie, Gina, welcome to the program. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. So let's, uh, before we kind of dig into what you're doing today, let's understand a little bit about the background, how you got into cannabis. You both have really interesting professional backgrounds. So I always love hearing the story of how cannabis came into play, what was the uh, impetus and uh, sort of the early stages. So I'll let you decide who kind of who wants to go first, but give me the background and uh, tell me the story. So I was practicing as a board certified OBGYN and I had my practice that I was happily 
in the trenches trying to stomp out disease and save lives. It was becoming increasingly difficult to make a meaningful impact, though, because patients would come in and they just wanted a pill to sleep and a pill for anxiety and a pill to have sex. And they didn't really want to take ownership over their wellness and their health. And it was starting to wear on my nerves a little bit. And I thought there might be a better way. And I had already branched out and had opened up a medical spa in 2008 because my patients really wanted other treatments that I couldn't offer them in the context of the traditional OBGYN setting. So I was definitely no stranger to taking risks. However, when one of my patients very casually said, hey, can we bid you as a medical director on our application? That certainly got my attention because that was going to be a big, sharp left turn. Mm -hmm. That call then led to one of, well, let's look at getting some funding. And I said, well, my best friend has funding and she's a venture capitalist and she has access to that. So (laughs) I brought it to my friend, Gina, and I had prefaced this conversation saying, hey, listen, Gina's the real deal. Please don't waste our time. Like Mm -hmm. if this isn't a real investor pitch, please don't. Let's not get Gina on the phone. And Gina will tell you what happened next. <laughs> well, I'm an engineer by trade. I have a degree in electrical engineering, a degree in industrial engineering and computer science. And I'm a geek. And at some point after selling a company, I ran a venture fund. Probably the best job I've ever had. I love farming. I love starting new businesses. And this gentleman was halfway into his pitch. And I remember saying, can you explain to me the return profile on this investment? And he said to me, oh, honey, you would never understand the man. And I took a deep breath and I said, no, no, I think I will. I didn't realize that I had just encountered the perfect example of mansplaining, but um, we went on from there. And at the end of the conversation, Leslie and I decided that this probably wasn't the right opportunity. And like most moms, we were doing two things at once. We had played Mm -hmm. tennis. We were on our way home from the tennis match. We did the call in the car. Les dropped me off. And when she got home, I called her and said, let's bid this ourselves. And I thought she'd lost her mind. I had. I was like, wait, we have no experience in cannabis. Gina had never even touched the stuff, not once, not in high school, not in college. She'd always had a security clearance. I, of course, had touched the stuff in high school and in college. But, you know, it is it is just insane because as a physician, you go to school for a long time to get good at what you're supposed to be good at. And then you practice for the rest of your career in private practice or whatever. And so I didn't have that mentality of just jumping into something that I had no credentials to do. But what Gina taught me is that we're smart and we are surrounding ourselves and did surround ourselves with people who knew the answers. Gina quickly downloaded six books from Amazon on cannabis what is it? <laughs> <laughs> and read those. And she knows how to write a business plan. And ultimately, that's what the state of Maryland was looking for is a very well-run business, which as anybody in this industry knows, sometimes they're not all that well-run. And then we really decided to use my medical degree because if nothing else, I am trainable and I can read science and understand it and explain it to others. And so we decided that we would set ourselves up a little differently. Number one, we'd have a really well-run business. Thank you, Gina. Mm -hmm. And number two, we would have an actual doctor on staff that would be responsible for all of the training of the medicine that we really wanted to focus on. Because as we say all the time, this industry is really a recreational one that's masquerading as a medical one. And we really wanted to take that out of the equation and elevate this experience and this industry for every So that's kind of our approach. Yeah. I'm curious because you're both coming into cannabis with professional 
backgrounds, you know, very specific professional backgrounds, um, you know, medicine and finance, you know, both of which have some interesting challenges when it comes to cannabis, uh, you know, on the medical side, you know, decades of kind of demonizing cannabis as, you know, the devil's lettuce and, you know, not really schedule one substance and all this. Uh, and on the finance side, you know, federally illegal, posing all these kind of challenges, you know, everything from banking to tax and things like that. I mean, I guess what were the big kind of hurdles that you had to kind of personally work through and kind of going from your professional backgrounds and kind of mindsets or kind of knowledge bases coming into cannabis, what had to shift or what did you have to kind of either put aside or come up with new kind of thinking around in order to really kind of get into the space and apply, you know, the, the extensive professional experience you've had into cannabis effectively? Well, it's funny, 10 days after we won the bid, I got a call from my bank and they invited me to leave, which <laughs> was a, quite the gesture. I said, I, I don't understand. And they said, well, you now own a cannabis dispensary. Therefore, we can't bank you. Yeah, and this is the bank that I had my mortgage, my children's college accounts. You know, I'd been there 35 Damn. years. And I said, when you make all the guys that have won dispensaries leave, I'll leave too. Until then, no, I've never gotten a call back since. Really? So, so, so the other cannabis license holders were not being, not being asked to leave the bank like you were? Well, when we bid, we wrote this proposal 10 days before it was due. Yeah. So it had been out for six weeks. 10 days before it was due, I couldn't charter an LLC. So I bid it under my name. I got it. I was probably the only one in the clear. But I knew personally of 10 or 15 people who banked with them who had won that were hidden in the LLC structures. So it is still a challenge as a company. You can't write a check. You can't wire. We can't have credit cards. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's one bank in the state of Maryland that will bank us, and our fees are $30,000 a year, yeah. and we get no interest. So Gina did talk to her family before she decided to do this, because obviously, growing up as we did with this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, and just say no and days. dare. Yeah. yeah, We had Nancy told Ray our Ray. kids to avoid the stuff, right? You know, it's a schedule one drug. We don't want you to have a record, et cetera, et cetera. So she did sit down. I did as well. Certainly had a heart to heart with my husband. And then I had to heart to heart with myself because my partners, my colleagues, my physician friends, they thought I had lost my mind. Yeah. And they said, you know, you're throwing your career away and you know, you're going to lose your license. And I just decided to jump. I I was terrified and yet I trusted my friend and she's so smart with all of her business enterprises. And I did really think that this had medical merit and certainly it was worth investigating. So I just really took a big deep breath and leapt off of that cliff, um, hoping that I would land softly. It's been tumultuous. It has been um, an uphill battle. A lot of the physicians that were such naysayers in the beginning are now coming to us as patients or sending us their loved ones and texting me on the side and saying, hey, Les, can you talk to my dad about his Parkinson's or this or that? So it's been very interesting. I think with the tincture of time, it's been three or four years now, the program's been up. People are seeing that it's not a gateway drug. They're seeing that it is an exit drug. They're seeing the positive impact that it's had on their community and on their friends and family. So I think it's just been uh, certainly a leap of faith and we're continuing to do that. I think on a daily basis, it's a leap of faith every day. It's funny. We looked at last year from March to March, we serviced 50,000 transactions at the dispensary. And we never in our wildest dreams anticipated it growing like it has, have following. And I never anticipated 
all the people that we service use cannabis for some medical need, which they may not have recognized when they started using it for ADHD, for anxiety, for sleep, Mm -hmm. it has just been life altering to see the people that we encounter every day. I mean, we cheer with those who get better. We cry with those who pass because we have a a fairly large cancer population. And in the Mm -hmm. end, cancer usually wins. Yeah. So we we cry with our patients too. Yeah, but we're also seeing things with cannabis that you could never have anticipated. For me, with my medical background, yeah. I never would have expected terminal patients that are on death's door to be getting better and to be having better quality of life and to be cognizant and coherent to be able to interact with their families until their last breaths, unlike what I'd only ever seen, which was you know these drug-induced comas of people that are so narked up that they can't you know, hardly even take a breath. So it was very striking to me. I'd never seen in my medical background, anything like I had seen in this new cannabis world. But Gina's right. I mean, cannabis does, I think, have some role to play in the treatment of chronic medical disease and cancer. And we certainly would welcome some robust studies to help narrow that down so that we know what's happening. We certainly have some data points coming in, but it's not a panacea. And we tell patients that, that this is not an end-all be-all. It is one tool in our toolbox. It's a powerful tool in our toolbox. But really, as humans, we have to take responsibility for health in many ways. And cannabis is just one part of it. But diet and exercise and nature and yoga and meditation and love and all the things, it's just one piece of it. But it's been a, a cool launching place to be able to have a better and a bigger conversation with people about their health and their wellness. Yeah. I'm curious, as you, as you kind of started looking at the medical literature on cannabis, what struck you early in your research in terms of the things you realized that just you didn't know that the profession didn't know, or that were you know not very well published? Uh, and where are the areas that were kind of more anecdotal were definitely, you know, interesting and, and it looked like there was possibility, but just unresearched, unproven, and you're kind of in this gray area anecdotal, you know, reporting, you know, so you can, it probably works for some things, but we really don't know for sure. What are the areas that you're confident in, in terms of cannabis? And what are the areas that you suspect there's some things, but we really need to understand more of what's going on? Well, that's such a great question, but let's just go ahead and start with the obvious, Bruce. I mean, I had never learned about the endocannabinoid yeah, system. Exactly. I mean, are you kidding me? That was never discussed. Yeah. So what I knew must exist in some capacity, that brain gut connection, I had never been introduced to that. So I had, I mean, imagine my surprise when we started bidding this and I had to, (laughs) I was reading those books along with Gina and I was looking at whatever medical literature I could get my hands on. And imagine my surprise when I realized that there was this whole system, this very primitive nervous system that innervates all of our tissues, densely wired in the brains. We have receptors for cannabis. We make our own cannabis every day. I mean, my head exploded. It absolutely hundred percent exploded. And the, the disservice that we do to our physicians and healthcare providers by not teaching that in the medical schools is just unbelievable. So the amount of study now with all of this, we've got receptors that we can promote. We've got receptors that we can inhibit. We've got different endocannabinoids or cannabinoids that we can, um, you know, target for all of these different disease processes. But we can't, we encountered probably more resistance about this being a gateway drug. And I think the thing that I'm finding, because I've done a little bit of extra research on this and we've published a little bit of stuff or we will be publishing some things about pain 
is what it actually does, what cannabis does with pain and with getting people off of opioids. Like that is something that I think we're getting a better idea of in the literature. We've got THC that potentiates the narcotic or the opioid. And then we've got CBD that works on the withdrawal and the anxiety around coming off of opioids. And so synergistically, that is really powerful. I could talk to you about any kind of disease process and tell you that we've seen it working on the ground. The literature is starting to come in, especially from Israel and from Canada. And we're so excited about really getting some robust trials that we can sink our teeth into. But what I will say, and again, this is cynical Leslie over here, but to rely solely on randomized controlled trials to draw meaningful conclusions in medicine is is probably not doing the population a great service. Because as, as we have said, and as we actually said in our book, how much anecdotal evidence do you need before you understand that these medicines are having a positive effect on the body and affecting change in humans and getting people off medications. I mean, I think it's a win if you can get people to sleep at night. And I think it's a win if you can get them off of their medications. We're getting people off their opioids, off their benzos, off their sleep agents. They come in with a laundry list of 15 or 20 medications, and we can whittle that down to just a couple But more importantly than anything is what we witness with our own eyes. We watch people getting better every day as they come in. Their eyes are brighter. They're walking easier. They're getting rid of their canes. They're getting rid of their wheelchairs. They're re-entering the workforce. Their marriages are better. Their relationships with their kids are better. It just nothing else really matters until you are seeing the effect that it's having on the population. So, you know, I'm obviously the scientist. I love the data. The data is very hard to interpret because this is a very complicated system. Cannabis has something like 550 different components in it. So it's going to be, it's going to take some time to unwind what exactly is, is doing what. But I can tell you that generally what we're seeing is that cannabis has a tremendous effect on the human body. And the vast majority of that effect we have found to be a positive one. Yeah. I'm curious, you mentioned something earlier I'd love to talk a little bit about is, um, I think you said that cannabis uh, is a recreational program disguised as a medical program. I can't remember exactly the words used, but I'm you know, just curious is to get your take on how this kind of dual mode that most states are operating within, uh, how well you see that working, what is the impact on medical programs when a state starts introducing adult use, you know, recreational programs. I mean, uh, what's your take on on the kind of paradigm overall? What do you think works about that? What is what is not working so well? What are some things you think we can do to improve how we're actually building these cannabis markets? It's my favorite, favorite thing to talk about. And it's the thing I'm the most passionate about. So it turns out that when this market got started, not in Maryland, but in our country, it was all about the THC because it's all about getting high and it's, mm-hmm. it's all about that THC molecule and the plant knew better. And, you know, when the plant was its ancient origin, it was a CBD plant with a little bit of THC. And it turns out that just because we weren't really all that smart about all these different compounds in cannabis, we grew ever stronger and more potent THC plants and ignored the CBD. And as a result, now we have an insane amount of THC. It's all about the THC. Anywhere you go, it's all about the THC. And that's not actually the medicine. And so it's just ignorance, unfortunately. It's lack of education. I, I don't think people are 
necessarily trying to go backward, but they just don't know better. And I think it was Maya Angelou who said, when you know better, you do better. And we really have to do better. It is all about the CBD. So what happens when a state has a medical program, and hopefully there's some amount of CBD in that program, if it's a medical program, what happens when adult use comes in is that you can no longer find any CBD because there's not, the market's not driving it. The market's driving ever increasing high levels of THC, which is absurd because this molecule is very potent. That means it works in a very narrow therapeutic range. So too little won't work and too much won't work. In fact, THC could be considered as Ayurvedic medicine where a low amount is medicine, but a high amount is poison. Mm -hmm. And you see that with people who take too much THC. You see that if I'm a cancer patient and I'm on chemo and I have nausea and vomiting associated with chemo and I take small doses of THC, that will stimulate my appetite. That will make me hungry. But if I get too much THC, I go to the poison part where I'm, I have nausea and vomiting and you know horrible, horrible discomfort. So I think the nuances and the subtlety and the art of medicine are so important here in the cannabis realm. It's not about a THC percent of 30. That's just absurd. You don't yeah. need 30% THC. And so in a recreational market, you see growers <laughs> somehow breeding higher and higher and higher amounts. I mean, come on. I mean, like, and it's like, they think, they think that that's going to command a, a better price and maybe it does, but gosh, it's an uphill battle every day for us to try and teach people what's really important in that plant. We also see when a medical market becomes recreational, the medical demand dies off and recreational eclipses that partly because you don't need the cards, you don't need the certifications. It's less onerous. And as a result, the medical products tend to become less available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen this happen a couple of different times in states when the when the adult use programs come in. It really puts a lot of stress on the medical programs, availability of product. And, you know, obviously a lot of a lot of patients uh, that, you know, decide that it's not worth getting the medical card or it's easier just to use the the adult use programs uh, dispensaries to get to get what they need. But then they don't have the, the same focus, same care, same product availability. Okay. I'm curious on the business side, like, as as you were putting together a business plan, right? You're, you're, you're looking at that as a business, you know, you want to understand what the return profile looks like, like how, I guess, originally, what was the model or what was the thinking in terms of the market you were going to approach, you know, the business model you were going to stand up, you know, how your products and services you were going to focus on. And then how has that evolved over time? We were naive. Let me just go into it saying that we didn't realize how hard it would be to get real estate. We didn't yeah. realize how hard it would be to get banking. We didn't realize how hard it would be to pay our employees just the normal, everyday, easy business things were hard. Yeah. And we went into it thinking flour is evil. So we weren't going to carry flour. Okay. The school of hard knocks and supply and demand <laughs> taught us clearly that was not such a sound business well, practice. You know, it wasn't even a sound medical practice. Yeah. I mean, here I thought smoking was tawdry and dangerous and, you know, we shouldn't be combusting. That's not a good idea. But imagine my surprise that Mother Nature knows way more than I do about everything that's in that plant. And it's not the Western medicine model. We don't take 30 different compounds and put it into a pill and give it to you and kind of hope for the best. So the fact that I've really completely done a 180, I think Gina was probably caught from a business standpoint, Gina was caught in my crossfire of me saying, oh no, medically, we don't want flour. That's, that's not, that's not what cannabis is. That's not what cannabis should be. So <laughs> I apologize for that. I was wrong. 
Um, because certainly cannabis flower has a wonderful role to play. We just encourage people to vape the flower instead of to combust the flower. But those are, again, those little fine, elegant parts of the practice of this kind of medicine that take a little bit of time to get better at. We also, COVID really impacted our business model. We had everybody inside, right? Yeah. People would come in, they take 40 minutes to an hour. They tell us about their kids, their husband, their life, mm-hmm. their projects at home. Now we run a 100% curbside model. Eventually, we'll probably come back to seeing people inside and we still do consultations by phone and Zoom. But for the safety of our patients and our staff, we do a 100% curbside model. Interestingly, our average patient age is 62. Wow. We didn't see that coming. We did we not. We thought it would, they were going to be 25 years yeah. old. Skaters. Yeah. Aver- no. Average 62. 62. Yeah. We have a very heavy population of folks like us. Yeah. Folks that really want this for anxiety, for sleep, for arthritic pain, for Parkinson's, for cancer, as well as everything else. Mm-hmm. But it was a shock to us, the demographics that we serve. Yeah, older and sicker than we thought, for yeah. sure. Not not as much the obvious recreational user. Correct. And then that was something that we've touched on before, but the recreational users that were stigmatized, oh, this is just a stoner, come to find out, well, this is actually a war veteran. And this guy's got actual PTSD and maybe he looks a certain way and you pigeonholed him, but actually he's been treating his PTSD fairly effectively but with the use of cannabis. So that was really eye-opening for a lot of us. And in fact, Gina just had an interaction with one of our vets just the other day. I like to be out on the curb for curbside because I feel like I get the most in-touch data by talking to our patients. And a gentleman came through at the end of the day. He's in his bathrobe and pajamas. He's a big, burly guy, probably 240, looks very strong, and he's sobbing. And I opened the door and I put my arms around him and I said, are you okay? And he said, I would have committed suicide yesterday had it not been for cannabis. I just want to say thank you. Because we take care of him. We, we try and get him good deals on the things that he likes. And he knows that we're trying to do that for him. But quite honestly, the gift goes both ways. Like right. the, the, It makes it so much more meaningful when you see how patients are actually touched by this medicine. But you don't see PTSD. You don't know that he was yeah. in a war in Afghanistan. You don't know the trials and tribulations he's been through. And it's just very rewarding in a sense that I never knew being an engineer. I didn't deal with people. Mm -hmm. I respect Leslie. She brought babies into the world. I didn't. I corrected a formula. But it it is earth shattering to me that it has that much impact. And how how has that sort of changed your business model, service model, you know, how how you kind of approach the business, design the business? Like I imagine, you know, as, as you've learned these things, as you've realized what the impact is, where your target market really is. You know, how has how that shaped how you do business and, and what your future plans are? Well, our goal with curbside is no one waits more than two minutes. And okay. we managed to, to maintain that with optimized queuing theory, which makes me it. very excited and no one else. Oh, my God. She had to force it down their throats. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to do it. Gina had to keep gently saying, no, no, no. This, this is, is what, what we're, we're going to do. <laughs> um, so that's important. We also have a program for our terminal patients where we deliver to their homes at yep. no cost. It's just the, the right things to do. If anything, I think that we will optimize our scale. We would also like to bring in certain product lines based on need, which we have an ancillary company called Placebo, which is primarily for women for anxiety, sleep, premenstrual, premenstrual 
Yeah, mm-hmm. all the things. I mean, we we entered this market and we were horrified to see that there was nothing directed toward women. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, this is just no good. Like, if How Gina, do you say to a 62-year-old, yeah. try the G-spot? Yeah, I think, I think you want the AK-47 <laughs> for your specific um, terpene profile. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was so bad. It's actually comical. And I know yeah. that the industry is maturing and I know yeah. that it takes time. But the fact that women are just so completely disregarded out of the gate is just entertaining, I guess I'll say. So Gina and I decided we needed to do it ourselves because clearly it wasn't on the market. So we came up with a line of vape pens to start that are idiot proof because so many of our patients, I mean, can you imagine trying to tell an 86 year old on the phone how to vape? I mean, it's yeah. the, the strings of words that have come out <laughs> of our mouths in a sentence. I mean, they, like, if anybody were to listen, they'd be like, who are you? Like, this is not the life I signed up for. This is just absurd, but we needed it to be idiot resistant, right? So that there's not buttons to push in the whole thing. Cause these people are you know, not necessarily the savviest. And we wanted it to be a really soft effect. So most of the patients were having problems with anxiety and sleep. So we did a one-to-one CBD with THC, put specific terpenes in there. It's a very soft effect. And it puts people to sleep when they're in bed and they need to be sleepy. And it takes the edge off when you're about ready to throttle your husband or your kids or whatever. And then we decided, well, that was so popular. Let's do the line for pain. So we did a three-to-one, so three times as much THC for pain and uh, gave that one a lemon flavor. And that has been a really popular one for daytime. So these are discreet. They're pretty, they smell nice. They don't smell like cannabis. Mm -hmm. You can do it on the soccer sidelines when you're watching little Tommy run down the field and nobody will know what you're doing. So we really were speaking to an untapped part of the market. And again, the feedback from the patients has been overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, I'm sure. And and talk to me about expansion. I mean, what as you kind of look to the future, you know, what's the plan in terms of opening new facilities, new locations? Uh, you know, what what has been the thinking? What have been some of the challenges? Well, with Placeva, the difficult thing is you have to produce individually in every state. So we'd like to do a nationwide rollout. But that means that we have to get a nationwide partner to do that, and we're working on that. With regard to the dispensary, we have bids in West Virginia, which we have won, New Jersey, which we're awaiting. We're awaiting a processor here in Maryland. So we do have expansion plans. Like Leslie said, this wasn't what we thought we were stepping into, but it is fabulous. We look at it as the green rush. We look at it as a time of intellectual learning on cannabis as well as acceptance and people changing their the stigma and the yeah. viewpoint. Some people, some, some people, people, a lot of people. We didn't know that you would lose friends in this business. Mm. That was an education. Yeah. I had a colleague and friend for 30 years who just couldn't identify and resonate with the fact that I was in cannabis. And I said, can't we just agree to disagree on this one topic? And the answer was no. Yeah. And so that's that makes me sad, but there definitely is a very polarized view on cannabis. Yeah, it is always um, uh, both interesting and, and quite unfortunate, you know, when people, particularly professionals coming from other spaces, get into cannabis and it it can create kind of a dividing line uh, for folks, both professionally and, and personally and, and family stuff as well. It is, uh, it's an interesting, um, but yes, it was somewhat unfortunate kind of effect that happens for a lot of folks. Um, yeah, I think the fact that our parents have embraced it as well as yeah. they have is like astonishing. But yeah, it's it's never a dull moment in our lives. Yeah, well, and that that is kind of the fun part of being in cannabis. It is entertaining and and uh, always always challenging in a in a fun and, and educational way. If I gave you a magic wand and you were going to change one thing about the industry right now, you know, regulatory, legal, otherwise, what would it be and why? 
just one. I would like it to come off schedule one okay. for a couple of reasons. First of all, I would like standardized research that we can use that is not anecdotal. I think also coming off of schedule one will facilitate safe banking because right now cannabis is considered that like heroin. And so we're considered drug dealers. And while it's legal on a state basis, it's not on a federal basis, which causes banking issues, payroll issues, just all kinds all, of things. It all filters down. And I will say, please, please, my friends, could we please educate our young doctors on the endocannabinoid system yeah. and on endocannabinoids and the whole thing, please. That would be, that would be my plea if I had my magic wand. Yeah. Well, it does seem like in some of those cases, it's almost a generational thing, right? And until the next generation comes in, you know, having been trained, you know, early in their careers, early in their training around this stuff, you know, it's going to be hard, right? A lot of these systems are very ingrained. A lot of the thinking is, is tough to change right now. So it, it might take, it may take a little while for some of those things to happen, but it will, you know, and we're all, I guess, all looking forward to that. Leslie, Gina, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Greenhouse, about Placeva, what's the best way to get all that information? You can come see us at www.greenhousewellness.com or Blissiva.com, B-L-I-S-S-I-V-A. It's a combination of bliss and sativa. And then finally, our book can be found at High Heels, and that's H-E-A-L-S dot biz. I'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes so people can get that. Gina, Leslie, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. It's been ours. It has. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.